Nowadays, we, um, we often hear statements kind of like this made concerning politicians, usually. And the statement is, he never said that, or she never said that. And then some journalist in the room says, okay, roll the tape. And so the videotape plays, and there is that person, visual and audio proof, saying that very thing. Oops. There are a lot of those situations in our world today. Many of you have experienced people from certain cults coming to your door and speaking with you, or you've read their posts on Facebook or some other social media. And what you've either read or heard these people say is, Jesus never claimed to be God. Now, we're not going to roll the videotape because there was no such thing back then. But as we look at John chapter 10, we're going to find that there's an oops there too. Because those who claim Jesus never said he was God have probably never really read the Gospel of John. Chapter 10 is one case in point, but really the whole book of John reveals to us many times when Jesus claimed to be God. And that's why he got into so much trouble. We're going to look at the last part of chapter 10 today, and uh, we're going to start... In verse 19, it says, At these words, the Jews were again divided. Now let's stop there, because we're learning here that the Jewish people, when Jesus was here, found themselves divided over his identity who he was. And that that's what John is saying here. He says, All, at these words, the Jews were again divided. At what words? Well, we've looked at 1 through 18 a couple of weeks ago. And here Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel, the shepherds of Israel. And in talking to them, he uses this word picture that we saw two weeks ago, and even last week, of sheep and shepherds. And he's using that picture to, to get something across. And as he's doing that, he makes a statement about himself. He makes a claim about his identity. And he says, uh, 
more than once, but verse 11 is one of them. He says, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And he goes on to say that as the good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep, that he is the only way to get into the sheepfold and be saved. And these religious leaders know what he's claiming because they know their Old Testament. And in Ezekiel chapter 34, and we looked at it two weeks ago, God pronounces judgment on the shepherds of Israel, the the leaders, the spiritual leaders. And basically he says, you've been bad shepherds. You, You haven't cared for the people. It's all about you. And so he says in Ezekiel 34, the day is coming when I'm going to send the good shepherd. In fact, I will be their good shepherd. And, of course, the Jewish people from that time on were looking for their Messiah. And one of the things they understood was that when the Messiah came, he would be that shepherd. But now, Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one that Ezekiel 34 was talking about. And I'm going to lay my life down for my sheep. And I'm going to care about them. And I'm going to lead them. And I'm going to call them by name. And the only way they can be saved is through me. And then we come to verse 19. And John says, at these words, upon hearing Jesus say those things, the Jews were again divided. And look at the division. Verse 20, many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? So that was one of the conclusions. Because of what Jesus was saying and claiming, he's demon-possessed. These words are coming from a demon-possessed man. He's raving mad. And yet others, verse 21, it says... We're saying these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. He's saying things that no man controlled by a demon would say. He's saying good things. Plus, can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This conversation started when, as recorded in chapter 9, Jesus healed a man who had been born blind. And so you have a division among the people as to the identity of Jesus. Some saying... What he is claiming is false. He's demon-possessed. He's mad. Others are saying, no, it can't be. Based on what he's saying and what he's doing, he's not demon-possessed. He's not raving mad. You see, the Jews, no matter which side they took, understood what Jesus was claiming about himself. Here it happens to be claiming he was the good shepherd. But they understood that he was making a claim to being God, being the Messiah, God come in the flesh. They understood that that's what he was saying. 
And their response to that was divided. Take a look at uh, verse 27 and on. Last week, this was just a review. Last week we looked at this section. Jesus continues with his sheep and shepherd um, word picture. And he talks about those who have come to be saved through him and become his sheep. Part of his sheepfold. He says they're secure. They're secure. And the way he said it, and we looked at it in detail, he says in uh, verse 27, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So as we looked last week, once you are... um, in Christ's fold, and he's your shepherd, you're secure. You're safe. You're secure. No one can snatch you away from Jesus. And he says, no one can snatch you away from my Father, God. And then he makes a statement to add to the good shepherd statement. He says in verse 31, verse 30, I and the Father are one. If you're in my hand, you're in the Father's hand. If you're in the Father's hand, you're in my hand. And you're safe and secure because I and the Father are one. Now, so Some people look at that and they say, well, all he meant <coughs> was that he and the Father agreed. That's what it means. Just that they agree. That's not what the Pharisees heard. They knew what he was saying. They understood his claim. Look what happens. Verse 31. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. They wouldn't want to stone Jesus if he was just saying he and God agreed. I mean, I can tell you I agree with God. You wouldn't want to stone me because you agree with God. On a lot of things. But see, they knew what he was saying. It was more than agreement. In fact, Jesus asked them, verse 32, But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which one of these do you stone me? Which miracle are you stoning me for? Verse 33, We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. See, they understood his claim. They understood what he meant. I and the Father are one. He's claiming again to be God. He claimed to be the good shepherd that was promised. God, come in the flesh to be the good shepherd. And now he's claiming it again, saying I and the Father are one. They understood it. Josh McDowell, there's a quote by him on your sheet. It says, for a mere man to claim to be God would certainly be a retreat from reality. And McDowell's right, isn't he? I mean, for a person to claim to be God, that would be unacceptable. We'd think something was wrong. You know, uh, as we continue our interviews with Candidates for associate pastor, 
if in those interviews we, we were to find out that this man claims to be God? You know, what if we're in an interview and he says, oh, by the way, there's, there's something else I need to tell you. I'm God. Well, we probably would move on to another candidate. Because the idea that a human being would believe and claim that he's God, something's wrong with him. It's unacceptable. Um, I wouldn't be here much longer if I claimed to you I was God. If I stood up here week after week telling you I was God. You know? And if Gary over coffee, tried to convince me he was God. No way, right? So I I just say that to help us understand that the Pharisees are responding like we would. You know, we're always hard on them, and we should be. But we have to understand, we would have responded the same way. If we were committed to our faith and our beliefs, and someone comes along who's a human being and claims to be God, we think something's wrong with this person. So in a way, we can understand why the Pharisees are responding this way. They understand what he's saying. And to them, he's just a man. And he's making these claims over and over again. Because this wasn't the first time he had made this claim. If you go all the way back to John chapter 4, I mean, if we just look at the Gospel of John. In John chapter 4, Jesus is having this conversation with a woman at a well. Um, It's in Samaria. She's a Samaritan woman. They meet there at the well. They have a conversation. And in the course of the conversation, in John 4.25, the woman says, I know that Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. She knew that. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. He just came right out and claimed to this woman, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I'm God come in the flesh. And then we go to chapter 6 of John. And more than once in this chapter, as he's talking to the Jews, he makes this claim. Uh, Verse 35 is one of the places. I am the bread of life. Believe in me and you'll have eternal life. But he says, I am the bread of life. And the Jews who know their Old Testament would say, wait a minute, God is the bread of life. But he's saying, he's the bread of life. They knew what he was claiming, and they couldn't handle it. He was claiming to be God. Go to chapter 8. Another situation where he says to the people, I am the light of the world. Verse 12 of chapter 8. I am the light of the world. And the Jews hearing that, who knew their Old Testament, would say, wait a minute. God, Yahweh, is the light of the world. The scriptures say so. And here's Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. They knew what he was claiming. He was God. 
later in chapter 8, as you get to the end, he's talking with the Jews about Abraham. Verse 56, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you've seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. They wanted to stone him right there. Why? Because they knew that according to Exodus 3, when Moses was called to go get the people out of Egypt at the burning bush, when he wanted to know who was talking to him through the bush, God identified himself as what? I am. I am the I am. So the Jews who are hearing Jesus here refer to himself as the I am. They know what he's saying. Again, he's claiming to be God. And then we come to chapter 9. We have the healing of this blind man. And uh, Jesus meets up with the man again later on in the chapter. And we come to uh, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown this man out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Another term for the Messiah, the Christ, the Promised One, God come in the flesh. He says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Again, he's claiming to be the Christ, the Messiah, God come in the flesh. And so chapter 10, as we come to him saying, okay, I'm the good shepherd, another claim to being the Messiah, the Christ, God come in the flesh. And then he says, I and the Father are one, another claim to being God. You can understand why some of these people are upset. And it didn't stop here. You can go on in the Gospel of John. The next chapter, chapter 11, at the grave of Lazarus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And the people listening to him, if they knew their Old Testament, say, wait a minute, God is the resurrection and the life. But here's Jesus making that claim about himself. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If they knew their Old Testament, they knew what he was saying. Because God was the way. God was the truth. God was the life. But Jesus is claiming that for himself. So, this isn't the first time. People who would say, Jesus never claimed to be God, need to roll the tape and read. He over and over again claimed to be God, the Messiah, the Christ, God come in the flesh. And that is why they wanted to kill him, to stone him. 
Verse 34. Jesus answered them. This is after they say, you, you're blaspheming. Well, what's blasphemy? Blasphemy is when you, when you speak against what is sacred. It's when you um, are ir- irreverent toward what is sacred, specifically God. That's blasphemy. When you demean God, when you defame God, that's blasphemy. And if you claim to be God, that is certainly defaming him. That is certainly being irreverent toward God. And that's how these people feel. He is blaspheming God by claiming to be God. And so Jesus says in verse 34, Is it not written in your law? And he goes back to Psalm 82. He says, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are God's? Small g. If he called them gods, small g, to whom the word of God came, human beings, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. I am really God. Do not believe me unless I do what my Father does. But if I do it, even though you don't believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. What's he saying? Same thing. I and the Father are one. He's in me. I'm in him. We're one. So he claims it again. And basically the Psalm 82, if you went back and read that, uh, God is pronouncing judgment on uh, judges and rulers who are supposed to be uh, judging and ruling justly and fairly, because they're supposed to be representing him in a way they're kind of like little God, small g in quotations. They're supposed to be kind of godlike as they rule the people and, and judge different situations, and they haven't been. And so in, in Psalm 82, you know, God is pronouncing judgment on them. But he, he calls them God, small g, because they were supposed to represent God in their role. And so Jesus just says, well, back there, uh, these human judges and rulers were called gods. And you didn't make a big deal of that. Now I come, sent by the Father, and I say, I am the Son of God. I am God. And you don't believe me. And then it says, in verse 39, again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. So they're trying to seize him, they're trying to stone him, all because they understand clearly what he's claiming. He's God. He is the promised Christ. God come in the flesh. But there is good news in this passage. Because remember, the people were divided. There were those who said he was blaspheming, he was demon-possessed, he was raving mad because of these claims to be God. But there was another opinion, another conclusion. Starting in verse 40. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptized, baptizing in the early days. And here he stayed and many people came to him 
They said, though John never performed a miraculous sign, John the baptizer, all that John said about this man was true. What did John the baptizer say about Jesus? Well, he said he came from above, that he was above all. John said he was the Son of God. And John said he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so these people are saying, John himself didn't perform miracles, but everything he said about this man, Jesus, it's true. We believe it's true. And so verse 42 says, And in that place many believed in Jesus. So when it came to the claims of Jesus about being God, whether he used the term good shepherd, I and the Father are one, Father's in me, I'm in him, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Son of Man, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the I am. I'm the light of the world. All those claims. I'm the bread of life. All those things that were true of God, claiming for himself. You had two conclusions. The one group said, it's blasphemy. He should die. Or at least be put away. Because it's blasphemy, what he's claiming. And then you had the others who said, we believe what he's saying is true. There's no other conclusion. He is who he says he is. He is the promised Christ, the Messiah, God come in the flesh. We believe it, and they believed in him. They followed him. Blasphemy or truth? Those were the choices. Notice the quote by C.S. Lewis. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. That's your choices. Blasphemy or truth. Blasphemy, he does not deserve to be believed or followed. Truth, you need to fall on your knees before him and believe in him and surrender your life to him. Your choices. C.S. Lewis goes on. He says, but let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about Jesus being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Those who believe Jesus was just a good teacher, a man of God who came at a certain time and did great things, that's nonsense. <laughs> that's not even an option. Because he claimed to be God. And if his claim was false and he wasn't God, then he's a liar or he's crazy. He's a lunatic. Thus, he's not a good teacher. He's a liar. Or his claims are true. And we had better fall down before him and follow him 
and give him our lives. C.S. Lewis said, that's your only two choices. None of this nonsense in the middle of Jesus just being a good teacher, a man of God who came on the scene. That's not an option because of the claims. Let's conclude with this. John, staying in the book of John, chapter 20. John 20. As we get to the end of John 20, it's after the resurrection. Thomas is doubting whether Jesus has really risen or not. He wasn't there the first time that Jesus appeared to the disciples. He says, I've got to see it. I've got to touch. I've got to, you've got to prove it to me that he's alive. And so Jesus appears to the disciples again, and Thomas is there. And you know the, the account. Jesus offers Thomas the opportunity to touch his nail prints. You know, proof. And Thomas doesn't have to. Verse 28. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. He got it. He believes the claims are true now. My Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then John makes a statement, verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who he claimed to be. John says, I've written these things, all these miraculous signs, all these times when he made the claim to being the Christ, to being God. And he says, I've written them that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Those are the two choices they had at that time, and they are the two choices we have today. Jesus claimed to be God. If he wasn't, then he was blaspheming. He doesn't deserve to be followed or believed in. But if his claims were true, that he is God, then he deserves our surrender, our belief. He deserves our whole life. That's it. We have the same choice those people had. So what's your conclusion? What do you believe? Jesus was a blasphemer because he claimed to be God. Or Jesus was telling the truth. And he was God come in the flesh. And he deserves to be believed in and followed and served. Those are the choices. We just got a monthly letter from one of our missionaries, um, Adam Robb. He and his wife work for crew uh, on the college campuses in the Arrowhead region of Minnesota. And uh, I found this really interesting. He, he has a quote from one of the students, a, bo a boy named Nick at uh, University of Wisconsin-Superior. He was talking to Nick. And Nick has been coming, apparently, to a lot of their crew activities and getting to know these Christian kids and staff people. And he 
he quotes Nick. And this is what this college student said. He said, I've now come to accept that there is a God. And I'm also really close to accepting that Jesus is God. In fact, it feels like I'm almost there. I am really close to giving my life to Christ. But notice, in his life, he had to first come to the place of believing there was a God. And then he had to come to the place where he acknowledged that Jesus was God. What he claimed was true. And now he says, I'm very close to giving my life to Christ. But he had to come to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. I've been praying that if you don't know Jesus, that you would really take seriously looking at these claims he made and maybe come to believing that Jesus was the promised Christ. He was actually God who came here in the flesh, gave his life for us, paid for our sins himself to provide forgiveness and eternal life that's secure And that he wants to be your shepherd, your good shepherd, to guide you. I've been praying that if someone here needs to take that step of surrendering to Christ, that you would do that. But I've also been praying something else. I've been praying for those of you who are my Christian brothers and sisters. Because you are the people who, in hearing this message, could possibly tune me out because you would say, well, I believe Jesus was God. I believe his claims. I believe in him. He's my good shepherd. You know, all that right stuff to say. But I want to ask you this question. If you believe that Jesus is who he said he was God. Do you realize what you're saying you believe? You believe a really big thing. That is a huge belief on your part. If you've come to believe Jesus, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, Walk the roads of Israel. If you believe he was God, that's a huge belief. And I commend you for coming to that belief. But here's the question. Has that made a huge difference in your life? As huge of a belief that is, what you say you believe about Jesus, shouldn't that make a huge 
difference in our life? C.S. Lewis said, if that's what you believe, you should fall flat on your face and worship him and serve him and surrender your all to him and live for him. It's that big a deal. And to say, oh, yeah, I believe that Jesus is God. To say you believe such a big thing and then you don't live like you really believe that big thing. That doesn't make sense. It's logical. If I believe Jesus is who he claims to be, and I have trusted my life to him, and he's in my life by his spirit, wow, it would make sense that I live a life that's totally sold out and surrendered to him. It would make sense. But you know, sometimes we Christians don't do things that make sense. So I want you to think about that, Christian brothers and sisters. We say we believe that Jesus is who we claim to be, God, who came in the flesh. Let's realize how big a belief that is. And let's make sure that big belief impacts our whole life. Right? John chapter 10 is a chapter you should know. Why? There's a lot of important stuff in John 10. He once again is revealing, as he did often, his identity as the good shepherd, as God. That's huge. That's important. And it's in John 10, as well as other places. You have a reminder that he has laid down his life for us. We're reminded that for those who belong to him, he is a good shepherd. (laughs) He knows us by name. He guides us. He leads us. And we are secure. If you need security as a Christian, John 10, you're secure. It's a chapter you should know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truths in this one chapter. And how they are reinforcing truths all through Scripture about Jesus. And Father, I pray today that if there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus, who hasn't even believed that he could possibly have been God in the flesh, Father, I pray that you would lead them to believe that claim by Jesus to the point where they would surrender their life to him. We pray for this student, Nick. And superior, God, we pray for him that he will soon trust Jesus, give his life to Jesus as he says it looks like he's going to do. And Father, I pray for we who are Christians who say we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, God in the flesh. Father, help us to think through what that should mean in the way we live our lives if we really believe that. Father, do what you need to do in our hearts, in our minds, after studying John 10. Amen. Please stand. We'll let God work in this last song.